I am so grateful to be here every single week with all of you. Our family is grateful uh, to get to do life with you, and I am incredibly grateful and honored to get to share on this special weekend, Pentecost weekend. And I've really been blessed all of my life with an amazing heritage. Both my grandpa, my great-grandpa were Pentecostal speakers, preachers, and I've just had an up-close and personal seat to watch the work of the Holy Spirit, not only in their lives, but in the lives of my parents, my grandparents on both sides. I've listened to them pray in the Spirit when they didn't know I could hear, and I've seen the Spirit's work in them and the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work coming out of them. But as grateful as I am for the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, I am thankful for an amazing foundation to stand on. The reason I am so passionate to share with you guys on Pentecost weekend is because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. The Holy Spirit has been a comforter and a friend on some of my darkest days. The Spirit has given me discernment when I wasn't sure what to do. And the Holy Spirit has surely given me power to turn from sin. This message resonates with me so deeply because I have experienced the power of the Spirit's work in my life. So last week, Pastor Ron really started this message on Pentecost. And he shared an incredible message from the first four verses of Acts and then the last six verses of Acts. And he talked about the importance of the time that we spend in God's presence, the importance of our formation, both of which leads us to fulfill our mission, his mission to the world. So tonight on this Pentecost weekend, I want to share from some of the verses in between. So at this point in scripture, we know that the Holy Spirit has come upon the believers They've all been filled, and they begin to speak in other tongues. And there are people staying in Jerusalem that begin hearing the believers speaking in their own native languages, and this is where we pick up in verse 12. So look with me in verse 12. And they were beside themselves with amazement and were greatly perplexed, saying one to another, what could this mean? But others were laughing and joking and ridiculing them, saying, they are full of sweet wine and are drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be explained to you. Listen closely and pay attention to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you assume, since it is only the third hour of the day, which was around 9 a.m., But this is the beginning of what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And this is the beginning, the beginning of what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. This was not the complete fulfillment yet. This was just the beginning. And it shall be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see divinely prompted visions. And your old men shall dream divinely prompted dreams. Even on my bondservants, both men and women, I will in those days pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And that last verse just means it's for everyone. It's for all of us. So tonight, I want to talk about experiencing a personal Pentecost, an ongoing, life-changing, never-ending encounter with the Holy Spirit. Have you felt that tension in your spirit ever? Just like that weariness, 
that frustration in your own abilities to handle and manage your own life, the striving, I know that I have. I've literally felt in my spirit that war that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And we cannot fight this war without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. And yes, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. We partner with the Holy Spirit at salvation. But the power that Jesus told the disciples to go and wait for was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is what gives us the power to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, to our neighbors, our friends, to our family. It gives us the power and the boldness to stand up for what's right. And it's an interesting time in our culture right now. I think we would probably all agree. I think there's probably interesting times all through history, but we are again living in an interesting time. Everywhere it looks, there seems to be like a new controversy, something new to disagree on. And I believe that our culture is being invaded by the author of confusion. And I don't know about you, but what's been happening in our world has been grieving me. This morning, I I called Joel and I just talked to him about it again. And I know that it surely must also be grieving the Holy Spirit. The loss of interest in the things of God. The loss of purity. The loss of freedom to have healthy conversations about topics that matter. I think it's it's like we're all to some extent mourning the way life used to be. And if you're like me, you've probably wondered, what part do I play in all of this? I want to stand up for what's right. And I certainly want to stand up for Jesus and the absolute truth of the Bible. But I also don't want to say something that would keep someone else from coming to know him. So how do I approach these situations? Here it is. The baptism in the Holy Spirit gives us the boldness to say what needs to be said, but the Holy Spirit also gives us the discernment to say the right things at the right time. I'm going to read it again. So good. The baptism in the Holy Spirit gives us the boldness to say what needs to be said, but the discernment to say the right things at the right time. And going back to our text, like I mentioned earlier, this was just the beginning of what was spoken through the prophet Joel. It wasn't a one-time thing. It's still happening for believers today. He's, he wasn't expecting it to help them and not us. He's still giving us that same power for today. He wants to pour out his spirit for all mankind. He wants to give it to everyone, but we have to be willing vessels. If you skip down to verse 39, it says, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. That means this promise is for you and this promise is for your family. So the question tonight, what is a personal Pentecost going to look like? What's it going to look like? The first thing is that it's always going to be divinely empowered. 
That simply means done with God's help in dependence on him. A personal Pentecost is going to be nothing that you can do in your own power. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is you being clothed with power from on high. And because it's divinely empowered, it's going to change you. When you've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it will shift your thinking. Your priorities won't stay the same. You will begin to serve like others like you haven't before. Your life will bear fruit like you haven't before. Your very life will become a witness to those around you. And it's interesting that after, it was after the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, what happened? The number of people that were added to the church grew exponentially. No one could have made that happen on their own. It was the divine power of the Holy Spirit. So let's think about it as the difference between a rowboat and a sailboat. Rowboats need muscle power to move, right? Everything required to make a rowboat move is done in the strength of the rowers. Additionally, (laughs) rowboats are not designed to travel long distances because the physical strength required to move them forward. Eventually, the people rowing the rowboat will run out of strength. And the same is true for us. If we're trying to push our lives forward day after day by our own strength, we will eventually tire out. We will feel overwhelmed and exhausted at some point. At some point, we will reach the end of ourselves. Sailboats, on the other hand, must have the wind to blow. If there's no wind, there's no movement. And although we cannot control the wind, we control the sail. The job of the sailor is to be prepared for the wind. They must tie the sail correctly, point the boat in the right direction, and raise the sail. But they must also discern the conditions around them and make every effort necessary so that when the wind blows, they're ready. Obviously, we all want to be like the sailboat. So the question is, are you setting your sail in the right direction and are you making every effort to be ready when the wind of the Holy Spirit blows? The mentality of the sailboat says, Lord, if you don't move, I'm going to be stuck here in the middle of this lake. I haven't made any other plans to get home. If your wind doesn't show up, I won't make it. And I believe that the Lord will honor that kind of desperation in our lives. We can't be, continue to be so consumed with our own methods, our own plans, our own agendas that we fail to see the need for the Spirit to move. And I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to move apart from the Spirit any longer, ever again. We need to be a sailboat people. We want to be a sailboat church. The second thing is that the evidence of a personal Pentecost will be that our lives are bubbling over. In verse 17, it says, And it shall be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bondservants, both men and women, I will in those days pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So the Hebrew word for prophesy is naba, 
which literally means to pour out or bubble over. So as the Spirit is poured out on all mankind, all of us who are willing to accept this gift, we will in turn be filled to overflowing and our lives will be bubbling over as the Spirit works in us and as the Spirit works through us. In John 7, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. They were at a festival. So he stood up and he shouted, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. Is that true of you? Would people say of you that you have a river of living water flowing out of you? Would you honestly say of yourself that your life is overflowing with the Spirit? Our goal should never be, our goal should be to never lose the proximity we have with our Creator and to do whatever we have to do to stay connected to the vine. But if I'm being completely honest, there's been a lot of days lately where I felt more like a stagnant little puddle than someone who is overflowing with rivers of living water. And that's hard to admit, especially standing up here preaching about the rivers of living water. But God is faithful. And maybe this message is more for me than it is for anyone else here. But he has been stirring me up and personally challenging me about how I am living in these last days. Am I having a personal Pentecost? Have I even been hungry for one? When's the last time I rearranged my schedule to spend time with the Lord? And I mean really rearranged my schedule to the point of inconvenience. When's the last time that I determined I was going to pray until I saw a breakthrough? My grandma used to call it praying through. And that meant they weren't going to stop until something changed. I feel like sometimes we wait until there's this desperate need in our lives to pray with that kind of desperation. But doesn't the Lord deserve that kind of desperation from us all of the time? Have we let ourselves drift from the source so much that we have forgotten the taste of the living water? So for those who don't know, I teach fifth grade and we just finished the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis. And it's part of the Chronicles of Narnia series. And there's a part where King Caspian and his crew are sailing near the end of their journey. And they're getting close to reaching Aslan's country, which is heaven in the book. It represents heaven. And as they get closer to arriving, they make a discovery about the water in the sea. They realize that the seawater has changed from salt water and it's now become sweet. And it tastes like nothing they've ever tasted before. One part says, Lucy knelt down on the deck and drank from the bucket. It's the loveliest thing I've ever tasted, she said with kind of a gasp. 
but oh, it's strong. We shan't need to eat anything now. And one by one, everyone on board drank. And for a long time, they were all silent. They felt almost too well and too strong to bear it. They felt almost too well and strong to bear it. That is the power that we're able to tap into. They no longer needed anything else to eat or to drink because they were drinking the living water and it was more than enough. Pastor Ray Pritchard describes how we are to be filled with the Spirit. He says, we need two things, emptiness and openness. You can't fill a jar that's already full and you can't fill a jar that is not open. There must be a sense of need. Lord, I'm open to you. Let your spirit fill me now. When your need to be filled with the spirit becomes your greatest desire, you will be filled over and over again. So if I were to give you a cup of water and I asked you to make the water bubble, what would you do? Well, there's probably two options. Maybe there's more, I'm not a scientist, but I can think of two options. One, you would blow in it with a straw, right? Or the other would be to boil it. Either way, in order for the water to bubble up, it would have to be exposed to the wind or to the fire. And we can no longer just sit back and expect or assume that our lives are gonna be bubbling over and poured out to those around us if we are not taking the time to expose ourselves to the wind and the fire of the Holy Spirit. He is looking for sons and daughters, both young and old, that will be his mouthpiece to this generation that will speak the things he asks us to speak. And he knew that in order for us to do this, we would need, desperately need, the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've talked about what a personal Pentecost looks like, but how, how do we experience a personal Pentecost? The first thing we have to do is wait. Verse four says, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. When translated into Greek and Hebrew, the word wait actually means several things, but there were three that really stood out to me. The first is that wait means to hope, expect, or look forward to. Now think about what was happening when, the, when Jesus told the disciples this. He was getting ready to be crucified and then he would go to heaven. I think he knew that they would probably feel lost without him there in the flesh and they would need something to hope and they would need something to look forward to. What do you hope, expect, or look forward to? Are you hoping, expecting, and looking forward to the promise of the Father? Wait also means to bind or gather together. Verse 14 says that they all joined together constantly in prayer. There was power in them coming together as believers to wait on the promise. And wait also means to tarry. No one was in a hurry. 
They had set their hearts and minds on the promise and it didn't matter how long it was gonna take. They were committed to going deeper in their faith. William Seymour, who started the Azusa Street Revival, talks about what it means to tarry. He said, dear loved ones, if you are seeking your personal Pentecost, do not get discouraged, but pray until you are filled to the uttermost. For the Lord Jesus says, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Do not stop because you do not receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit the first time you pray, but continue until you are filled. The Lord Jesus told his disciples to tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. He did not say how long they were to tarry, but he did say until ye be endued. Many are willing to tarry just so long and then they give up and fail to receive their Pentecost that would measure up to the Bible. But why does God ask us to wait? He could have just given the Holy Spirit to them right away at the very moment he left. But I believe he had other plans. I believe he had plans for the waiting. I think he wanted the believers to surrender all of their control and once more learn to put their faith this time in a God they could no longer see. He wanted them to understand that the power didn't leave when his physical body left, but in order for them to learn that, they had to learn to wait. And it's the same for us. Sometimes in the waiting, in the tarrying, he is waiting for us to fully surrender, to loosen the grip on our perceived control and make room for the Holy Spirit in our lives. The second thing we must do to experience a personal Pentecost is pray. As humans, we have a responsibility in receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't have any of the power but we have a responsibility to commit to pray and a responsibility to make ourselves available to him. After Jesus ascended into heaven, it said they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. It also said that it was an entire Sabbath day's walk to get back to the city. They were probably exhausted when they got back. But it says in verse 13 that when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying and joined together in prayer. Now, obviously we don't know exactly how long it was before they went upstairs, but we know they went quickly. We know it was a priority. They did not want to miss out. They knew that what was coming was something that they couldn't live without. Are we committing ourselves to the kind of prayer and expectation that says, this is my priority. Lord, I don't wanna miss a thing that you have for me. I'm desperate for this power to change me, to empower me, to overwhelm me. And because I'm desperate, I will sit in this space and I will hope, expect, and tarry. Am I that passionate like the disciples that I can't wait to get into prayer? And maybe you're like the quote I read from William Seymour. You've prayed for the baptism in the Holy Spirit before, but you didn't receive it. The promise is just, for mu just as much for you as it is for anyone else in this room. Maybe the Lord is asking you to tarry tonight, to wait on Him. And so that's exactly what we're gonna do. 
we're gonna spend time in prayer and waiting on the Holy Spirit. What an honor, right? What a privilege to spend time with Him, to open ourselves up to see what He will do. So I'm just gonna encourage you to find a place to pray. Just posture yourself in a way that you can shut out distractions, that you can focus all of your attention on the one who is worthy. Maybe you wanna find a corner and lay flat on your face. Maybe you wanna make your chair an altar. Maybe you wanna come up front. If you want someone to pray with you, there are people, there are pastors available to pray. And we are just gonna spend some time. The band is gonna play. They might sing, they might not. But it is not about that. It is about the one who is worthy and deserves our desperation, our attention, our focus. The one who gave his life for us. And there's a world out there who needs to know And if we are gonna be the ones to tell them, we have to be empowered from on high. We have to be more now than ever. We have to have his power. So if you will just find a place to pray, I know the Lord is faithful, he will meet you. Maybe you'll begin to speak in other tongues. Maybe you'll begin to weep. Maybe you will hear God speak to you things that you need to prophesy to this generation. But we have, we have the responsibility. Our responsibility is to wait on him. Make ourselves available and he will be faithful to do the rest. So if you'll stand with me and if you wanna move around the room, if you wanna stay where you are, this place is an altar. This whole sanctuary is an altar. Find a place to pray and dedicate this time to the Lord and let's just see what he will do, what he will speak to us.